0: and welcome to the Cyphers Theatre Podcast, a podcast for university students and recent graduates who are interested in pursuing a career in theatre. I'm Will Hollyheads, one of the co-artistic directors of Cyphers Theatre Company. Marcus is away at the moment, so this week I had a chat to Victoria Hamblin, who Marcus formed and founded Cyphers with back in 2014. had a really good and interesting discussion with her about more university drama, setting up the company and her eventual decision to leave theatre and retrain as a barrister. As I say, really interesting conversation to have and hope you enjoy listening. Hey Victoria, how are you?
1: Hi, yeah, I'm fine, thank you. How are you?
0: Yeah, really well, thanks. It's horrible weather here and I think it's horrible weather where you are as well, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it's a very dreary, wet Halloween today.
0: (laughs) Yes, we're recording on Halloween, so if there's any ghostly noises. um, And maybe that's why Marcus isn't here for the first episode, Is because he's doing something weirdly Halloween (laughs) spooky somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. That's what, that's, I'm hoping that anyway, that's a, a, that would be a fun and interesting explanation for his absence, he's somewhere carving pumpkins. Yeah, um, I feel like
1: I should have worn like a witch's hat or something for today, it's a Halloween special.
0: This being a podcast, if you hadn't have said that we could have pretended that we both were, but it's too late now, they <laughs> have got the truth. So how's, um how's lockdown been, well it's not lockdown anymore, but how's the last six months of whatever this has been for you?
1: Well, it's just been a lot of hard work. It hasn't really um, stopped for me. Uh, Lockdown didn't really happen in my life. Um, I had to keep working. Uh, But, you know, it's been interesting as well, a time to sort of reconnect with with people, as everyone's been saying, but I genuinely have felt that. And, uh, yeah, it's a bizarre time. I think no one really knows quite how to process it all, but uh, yeah, it's been a interesting experience to have in our lives as well, I think.
0: Yeah, we were there when.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's one of those moments, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, talking of we were there when, um, though it's not we anymore, let's wind the clock back to when you were, um, I don't know, 15, 16, before university. Um, And it's a question we've asked everybody who's who's come on the podcast this series, which is, do you remember when you first had the thought of, oh, theatre might be for me, whether that was a serious thought of it as a career or just the seed of interest in it was?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I suppose um, going back even further, I'd always um, been interested in theatre and had done a lot of um, dancing and singing. And then when I was eleven I started um, sort of children's stage school and I was part of um, Southwest Castings, um, I, they took me on the agency and I did a sort of few bits and bobs of theatre then. And I actually did consider going to drama college, um, but due to me being quite academic at school I suppose, I decided to pursue the safe route um and go to university um and then pursue acting professionally afterwards
0: so that was the plan then even though you were going to so as to do Chinese and politics as you do <laughs> yeah
1: it was it was always sort of something I was not quite decided upon but when you're in your halls of residence in first year and still breaking into songs from Wicked, like there's something that hasn't quite left you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's something that needs to be exercised in some way.
1: Yeah. So yeah, it was all learning curve, but I kind of did have a, a plan of action, I suppose.
0: Amazing. And so what was your experience of university then from a theatrical point of view?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, At SOAS, they they didn't really offer that much in terms of um, student societies for theatre. And so I met a friend in my third year who said, you know, oh, I I do stuff with King's College London. Um, Because we're all part of the University of London, you can just go along. There's an audition on the weekend. And I just went, oh, okay, And I went along and I got part firstly in um, the musical Hot Mikado and I managed to get um, a main part in that and then I sort of realised there was this massive network at King's um, of different student societies or theatre related that you could get involved in and there was musical theatre, there was the medical musical theatre society which I did fame. Um, with them, and then I did uh, stuff with the King's Shakespeare Company as well, where we toured the Taming of the Shrew. And um, to Cornwall, and that's when I met um, Marcus, who I subsequently started ciphers with.
0: Oh, I hadn't realized that. That I know that you knew that you would met Marcus during those, you know, forays into Germer at Kings, but I didn't realize it had only been on that.
1: Yeah, tour down
0: to Cornwall. That can't have been too long before you just got on and set up the company, can it? It
1: wasn't too long, really. I think it was. Um, I think it was twenty thirteen, and um, I was just on a mission to make my last summer as a recent graduate the best ever. <laughs> and so I, I uh, basically did the Cornwall tour of Taming of the Shrew and then um, did the Edinburgh Fringe afterwards with a Moliere play with Imperial College. Um, and I just thought, that's it, I'm, I'm having fun this summer and, and it was amazing. And then um, straight after that, I sort of had this moment of, OK, I actually have to decide what I do to earn money now. And um, so I did a qualification in teaching English as a foreign language and moved to Madrid. (laughs) Wow. Um, Yeah. And so I I taught English as a foreign language in Madrid for, uh, I think it was eight months. And I came back over Christmas and I met up with Marcus and he was already sort of um, mulling over what he could do with theatre, how to set up a company. And we'd had these discussions when we both um, were acting together in Taming of the Shrew of what sort of theatre we enjoyed um, seeing and and what we wanted to be involved in. And really that seed just sort of stayed in my mind and I I couldn't get it out of my head. So I came back in May and I got a part in um, this piece of new writing and Sort of alongside that, I set up Ciphers with with Marcus, and we um, started getting things together to put on Henry V. So yeah, it all sort of snowboard, I guess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I never, I never knew that you were <laughs> in Madrid for all that time. Yeah, wow, this I is see, my...
1: my different yeah. lives that I've led.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Goodness gracious. So we'll come back to the formation of Ciphers in a moment, but in that same period were there any thoughts about drama school as you'd had before going to soas to university Mm. um that were flicking around in your head then as well or had that ship sailed by then
1: yeah it was difficult because i suppose with four years my degree was four years and it was pretty intense um studying chinese and politics as you can imagine (laughs) and i had a year abroad in, in china at really sort of strict uni as well um, where there are a lot of exams and things and the prospect of sort of going back into education I suppose even though it is vocational it just didn't feel right at the time and um, I suppose a big part of it as well was that so much money had been spent on living four years um, or three years in London without earning money Um, and left with a big student loan to pay off and the idea of then having to fork out more money for drama school um, when I could see other ways of making the career possible it just sort of did, um, I suppose, go out of my mind a bit, yeah.
0: So part of it going out of your mind was down to seeing the other possibilities as much as it was seeing the barriers of going to drama school.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think that summer of madness where (laughs) I did uh, the tour to Cornwall and um, the Edinburgh Fringe, I thought, you know, you can make this happen on your own and it can still be great and you can still reach people and, and make that connection with them through theatre and there's not actually much that you need to do that. You just need a bit of funding to begin with. And I saw, fortunately, that window with working with um, university societies was a great way of of sort of getting foot on the ladder, I suppose. Um, Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: And that is exactly how uh, Marcus and I did it with Henry V. It was a a collaboration between students and, and professionals, and that was a really... It, it worked out better than I ever anticipated actually because it became such a reciprocal relationship between the professionals and the, the students and in a way we pictured it being that the professionals would be always giving back to the students and they would be absorbing all of the experience but actually the professionals were getting just as much out of it from working with students. So it, it worked out really well in the end and we just went from there.
0: Picked the students very wisely, didn't you? We that was did.
1: <laughs> that, that is a huge part of it, you know. Like It's such a vast... I mean, there's so many theatre companies out there. I mean, you can't get around that and so many aspiring actors. And so when you do find that group of people that you gel with, and it's just like what happened with, you know, rep theatre in the... Seventies and eighties, and you find those people you click with um you can make amazing things happen on stage, and you don't need that much money to do it and and that was that was such an addictive part of it, I suppose,
0: yeah, absolutely, so I get to give a little bit of context to people listening. what you did was and i'll I'll give it from my perspective as one of the students, so the outside perspective at that point um you did a production of Henry V where the cast was five and there were two of those were student actors, um, kind of like apprentices we were, I suppose, yeah. which worked well because it meant that it freed up budget to then pay some money to the professional actors, which is no mean feat for a company's first production, it must be said, mm-hmm. whilst also allowing it to be a, a bigger company of actors, um, working on it and you also yeah. very cleverly by linking into the universities it meant that you could use university rehearsal space. Yeah. Um that that was my perspective from the the well the outside is yeah. not quite but the inner outside. When did you first was that an idea of that kind of model that was very early on in those kind of Christmas conversations when you were back from Madrid? Or was did that idea come further down the line what was the timeline of coming up with that as the first production
1: yeah i think it was um we and in particular marcus realized the importance of maintaining those links with the um student societies and because obviously we were recent graduates um there's still those faces at university that that you worked with and um there were people that we really connected well with and were, were really happy to sort of share advice on where um, you could get, for example, a free performance venue, which is hard to come by um, marketing things because all of this was, was new to Marcus and I um, and they just shared all that, that network and knowledge with us and in return it gave um really great experience to the the students and i suppose that was all hatched in christmas but it was all sort of left over as well from when we had done the the work over the summer um to cornwall and um the tour to the edinburgh fringe which um i think marcus was up there as well with a ucl play and (laughs) the university of london is particularly um Amazing, because there's just such a broad network there of universities, and each of those will have their own little scene and style of work that they're doing. And you can't you know knock student theater. Like some of the most amazing actors have come out of that like with Cambridge footlights and things. and uh, we I guess we were just sort of inspired by that and and running with it.
0: Yeah, amazing, amazing. So then Henry V went pretty well. Um, At what point was the decision made, because the second production was Great Expectations, which we're redoing now, huzzah. Um, When was the decision made that that would be with, or try to make it be with the same group of actors as did Henry V? Because... As I understand it, it wasn't that wasn't the plan before Henry V. It wasn't to create a company that would then stick together for any amount of time. No, I think it
1: was having seen what a success um, Henry V was, and I, I mean that in terms of the, what we all took away from it as a, as an experience, not just sort of um, the audiences we reached out to. And um, we were all just extremely close after that. And when you do get a group of actors that have that sort of chemistry, that's totally palpable and visible on stage as well. And if you have that time apart, then you lose that momentum that you've gathered in the rehearsals and in the performance of the previous play. And because we were such a new company at that time, you just wanted to to build all the time. You didn't want to just allow the momentum to drop and then for people to forget what Cypher's was and to forget Henry V, we had to keep that going. And it just saved us having to get to know new actors. And it, we wanted to show as well that um, we valued the actors and that we we really appreciated the work that they'd done and they understood how we worked. You know, that we we weren't just sort of come up come in first day to rehearsal, know all your lines and then, you know, do the blocking and then move to performance week. No, we tried to make it all a collaborative journey throughout and the actors were just as much a part of the making of the production and the direction of it as the director was.
0: Yeah, it was good fun. Mm. What what was... um, It's interesting that, I suppose in a nutshell the, the things from both of those bits of the story one which is you know using your connections and two keeping momentum and three valuing people mm. those were things which you were thinking of quite specifically because of your situation as recent graduates but actually they're the kind of cornerstones of not just what any theatre company should be but essentially what any organisation should yeah. like to do really
1: yeah absolutely yeah, that that was fundamental for us. We didn't just want to make it feel like we were churning out theatre for the sake of it being theatre. We wanted it to be meaningful, and whether that be for the audience or for the actors involved, it it, it that didn't matter. It was for it to be an experience that was worthwhile doing and had a purpose.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So obviously you were kind of... As, as you very much touched on embracing your position as you know young graduates not without a care in the world but who mm. could to an extent throw caution to the wind but were there any kind of I'm sure there were but were there technical bits that you needed to do or anyone would need to do to you know start a company and to make it happen practically can you talk a bit about some of them
1: yeah there were definitely you know conversations marcus and i had to have about what we were about what was the cypher's brand how did we how could we stand out from other young theatre companies because it felt at the time like there were so many especially when you go to like the edinburgh fringe and you think wow (laughs) there are really a lot of companies here and it's daunting how how are you going to stand out and how are you going to ensure the longevity of the company and part of that was having discussions about are we doing classical pieces are we doing new writing Um, obviously we have this angle that we want to help um, graduates into the professional creative industry Uh, but it was going further than that and seeing what direction we wanted to head in and along with that you have to look at how you market your brand the website Um, how you convey it to people you're auditioning to and audiences and uh, yeah that took a long time to mold and it's something that's constantly evolving and I think that's a good thing it's not good to just sit on a brand and think that your job is done you have to make sure that you're relevant all the time and and that that was important to to look at the situation and society as it was then and see how we could fit into that and stand out.
0: I think that's really good advice Um, Mm. and again I suppose it comes down to that balance of obviously embracing the artisticness of the endeavour but also remembering that it's a real thing that exists in the real world and taking those lessons you know like about branding that apply to any company that you'd be looking to form. Interestingly, I can't remember this because I, I just wouldn't have known at the time. But by the time I um, came on board as artistic director of Ciphers, we reincorporated as a not-for-profit company. Mm. But at that time, Ciphers Limited or something was a um, limited by guarantee allowed to make profit company. Yeah. But was that something that happened after you'd? Um, gone in the direction that you went and left the company and it was just marcus for a bit or were you involved in the legal incorporation of the company at all
1: i think it was something we were we were looking at doing when we had to formalize our processes um and it was a steep learning curve you know learning about production work and direction and marrying all of that together and I had to learn how to do risk assessments, things that I'd never really <laughs> done before. Um, and I think it had to. we had to make sure we had the funds there to justify being um, a company we would actually sort of register and um, make formal... Uh, well, formalise, really. Um, but it, it, it's been evolving all the time. It's seeing, you know, what are the structures in the moment, what's the way we can, you know, still hope to pay actors, still put productions on, um, without us having to do too much charity for it. And it's difficult, because, you know, the profession is not really understood by government, I don't think, because it doesn't work in the way that other industries do. Um, it's amazing what actors and um, creative professionals are willing to do for no money, because they're ha- they're passionate about it. But in a way, that's such an asset. Um, but it makes it really difficult when you're running a company because you obviously want to keep that respect um, with your actors and show that you value them. But you're you're having to balance that with the financial constraints. Um, all the costs involved in putting on a production it all adds up in the end and you have to sort of be constantly reassessing that um and scanning around and seeing what other companies are doing and taking a leaf out of their book maybe adapting it to to your company and that's a really difficult element of it and something that I think Marcus and I had to to really make an effort to look into that because it didn't come naturally to us, thinking in that <laughs> way, you
0: know. Yeah, completely. I suppose it's it's a, in terms of, you know, advice to people who are students who are thinking about, you know, setting up a company. Yeah. There's There's, there's pros and cons to formalising that, aren't there? Because I suppose the big pro to setting up a company legally is the limitation of risk to you as individuals. Um, Yeah, yeah. But then, as you say, the flip side of that is that you then have that bit more responsibility, I suppose, or it just feels like more responsibility, I guess, because you're a, a real thing rather than just a group of people with a common interest who maybe have a website and maybe... You know, look to all intents and purposes like a company, but legally don't actually exist. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Like you could just sit on being like a student society, and leave it at that. But you have to have ambition and and look to the future at where you sort of see yourself as a company. And um, you, know, Marcus and I, wanted it to be an actual style of theatre that spread and people would. Um, sort of become accustomed to seeing our style, and, and embrace it because it is it's quite a raw style, you know. Yeah. It's and that we wanted people to work hard in using their imagination and work with the actors and go on that journey with them. Um, and part of that had to say, you know, we're we gonna take this seriously. We're we just gonna always stay as being sort of a student group that is just trying to do a few random productions here and there and then you think, no, we have to start tying the threads together and um, and making sure we're all on the same page as well, where we see it going.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So to jump back into your personal journey within all of this, we've obviously gone through Madrid, we've gone through Henry <laughs> V, we've yeah. gone through then Great Expectations as a second Cyphers production. What was going on towards the end of that journey that we've covered so far in terms of your mindset about the ambition to become an actor in the long term?
1: Yeah, it was, I think, the, because I'd taken the onus on myself to create work for myself, and that's a really tough thing to do. I mean, most people, there's a reason they give the job to someone else to employ them, Um, because it means they don't have to worry about all the pressure of where you find the money. And um, the prospect of my life being this sort of peak and trough all the time of, you know, this amazing production that I'm involved in, you have a great time, um, you you try and get people in to review it, you get agents in to to watch the actors, and then it it just drops off. And if I didn't work... um, to keep moving it along I and mean, no one would and mm. that was a, a daunting prospect and financially that was a real challenge um and i i didn't have the luxury of having sort of a safety net behind me to be able to focus on making theater without the worry of of making money at the same time and there are, I mean, fringe theatre is one thing that actually can be really accessible. Anyone can go put on a show, you know, um, at a small theatre, you just have to have the drive to do it. But the wider profession is so impenetrable. And that was, that was a really hard thing to swallow when you think, you know, I just, I need to make money and I need an agent to do this for me sometimes. <laughs> and Yeah, um, completely. You know, it's an exclusive world. It's just like, like any industry, really. It's got its elite circle, and it can be really difficult to break into that. Um, and you get to the point where you're firing off those letters to agents and you just get tired of not hearing back. And, you know, I, I was looking to the future and I was trying to think of what, what things would ensure that I'd be stable and secure financially and um yeah that was it's it's horrible to say but that was a big element of it um
0: no I think you're completely right and it's something that we've talked about this with other people in other podcast episodes about how bad people are in this country especially about talking about money especially actually within the industry where it is it is an issue it's a huge issue and it's such a taboo issue Mm. um but yeah you are right and I think actually rather than it being you know a, a, a sad thing for maybe people to hear listening I think it's just nice to hear sometimes that other people are in the same boat that you're worried about being in yeah um and yeah I think that that's got a comfort what were the sticking on that theme to break the taboo of yeah. talking about money for a bit so what were some of the things both that you as an individual over the kind of year of Cyphers Productions and you as a company um, runner at that stage, um, Mm. what were you doing as an individual to pay the rent and what were you doing as Cyphers to try and get money into the company to pay for the productions?
1: Yeah so at the time I was working as an usher in a theatre, that's that's the irony is I spent most of my time doing that and less time (laughs) Um, doing all the acting and producing work, which is normally done in small hours of the morning. Um, I'd be doing budget spreadsheets and things. Um, (laughs) And then I was also um, working for a solicitor, taking notes in court, um, which is where I got paid quite well. And often, you know, it would be sort of blocks of a few weeks where I'd be called in to work on a trial. Um, And all of that together sort of allowed me to survive, really. Um, And in terms of the company, how we raised funds, I mean it was often based on the generosity of the network of family and friends and sometimes um, randoms would (laughs) donate to us as well, (laughs) which was great. Um, and, you know, we'll always be eternally grateful to those people who, who helped us and believed in, in our work. Um, but it, it was hard to get that money, especially every time, you know, you can't just say family and friends, can you basically pay for all <laughs> of our production every single time? Um, we the, the aim was always for it to be a, a self-sufficient business model. And... For the money to come in on one production, to be used onto the next and then to keep it running like that, like a circle. Uh, But if you get moments of uh, dry spells when you're not producing any work for whatever reason, you mean, life happens. Mm. um, And then suddenly your funds dry up and it can be really difficult then to pick up the pieces and, and think of how do you put that together in a new production. So... Yeah, juggling all those things is a challenge. Possible, but it's a challenge.
0: Yeah, completely. So it's funny how it's all intertwined, because obviously one of the money jobs that you spoke about was taking notes for a solicitor. Yeah. So you obviously now, for the benefit of the listeners, to remind them, uh, (laughs) uh, are not in theatre anymore. You're in the law. Yeah. Um, So where did that particular job fit into that story was that an idea that you'd had that you therefore sought out the job or did Mm. the job kind of come more by providence and the idea then came from that job
1: yeah it was something I'd never really considered doing it was completely remote from my life um you know at the time it was thinking you know I could be a teacher and I like presenting um you know, I have some brains around there somewhere as well that I think I can use. <laughs> uh, and then, I, I guess, when I was working in court, um, I was really privileged to work with um, really wonderful lawyers who were happy to just chat and give advice on careers and things and uh, pull the veil back on a world that can be quite exclusive and closed to the public it is you know can't get around that and I saw the barristers um, at work and I saw a lot of parallels um, with what I'd been doing up until that point and I saw a chance as well to be intellectually stimulated and something that would challenge me and um, a job which involved a lot of public speaking and also had, um, you know, a public service element to it as well, which has always been important to me. And crucially, it would give me, you know, a way to be independent financially and support myself. Um, and so all of those things combined, uh, you know, it definitely gave me food for thought and um i started looking into it all and it was daunting again you know how many stages you had to go through to um to be able to qualify but i'm not put off by a challenge
0: <laughs>
1: and um i applied i wasn't in a position to fund studies at all and um i found uh, ways of funding my Law courses through, we have um, Inns of Court, and they fund um, people after an interview. If they think you've got potential and you've got drive, then they take a chance and they pay for your course fees. And I was fortunate to get that twice um, from my Inn of Court for my uh, conversion, law conversion course, and then onto my bar vocational course. And I haven't really looked back since. But um, yeah, it was always things that were always contingent on whether I had that money in place to be able to pursue something. And uh, yeah, I think that distinguishes me from a lot of my peers at the moment who maybe always dreamt of doing law and never had to worry about funding their courses. That's fine. I was just coming at it from a completely different angle and place then.
0: And it's interesting to hear you talk about, I suppose, the transition away from pursuing being an actor into becoming a barrister, because I think the fear maybe that a lot of people have, whether it's when they start out pursuing the dream, if you like, of of working in theatre, whether that's acting or anything else, or a fear that hits them once they're already on that road, is kind of the idea that, oh now that I've started either if I start if I stop I'll have failed and I'll have given up Mm. or now that I've started if I stop I'll have failed I'll have given up Mm. but actually it's it's very lovely to hear you talking about it in such a way that you haven't even pinpointed right this was the moment where I just said this is over I'm doing this now it all Mm. kind of feels part of the same journey yeah um let alone not being a giving up process, it almost feels like part of the same road, weirdly.
1: Absolutely, that, that is exactly the way that I view it and every, everything I've done, the teaching in Madrid, um, the setting up of the theatre company, all those letters I sent to agents have really helped me on my path to, to becoming a barrister as well. Um, Undoubtedly, because I was able to take huge knocks. Like As an actor, you hear some brutal things, you read brutal reviews. That that always happens, no matter how good you are, because there's always going to be someone out there who doesn't like your style. And it's completely the same in the law. You know, someone will think, well, you know, excellent advocate, and the next person will say, I didn't think they were actually that good. And it really builds up... Um, your resilience makes you have a thick skin. And I had the ability also to understand how to be self-employed and to just make it work, whatever that takes. And you work really hard. I mean, there's this misconception, I think, that people who go into creative industries just want to have a laugh and, you know, not do a serious job, and it's not that way at all. Like I said earlier, um, you know... For creatives to work so hard for very little money is actually amazing. It shows what passion and commitment they have. And I took that with me into what I did afterwards. And absolutely, like it's been a complete asset for me. And it's allowed me to have those transferable skills that I don't think I would have had if I hadn't set up ciphers.
0: Yeah, it's interesting actually because a question that we've asked uh, most of, The guest that we've had on the podcast so far has been about university and the idea of, are you glad, um, even though you're now working in theatre, that you went and did a degree in something different? Or maybe a degree in theatre, but, you know, went to university. Um, And the the consensus from that has been, well, yes, of, of course I'm glad because... I got loads of transferable skills, I Mm. made connections which are now useful, um, etc, etc. And actually it's really interesting to hear from you kind of the step beyond that of the kind of circle of it in that the university kind of more academic side of it gave you transferable skills into doing something you know a bit maverick a bit artsy for a few years but actually mm. that's given you transferable skills to take back and apply to something that's maybe a bit more directly related to your initial degree yeah but without going off on the the tangent as it were of theatre yeah. you wouldn't have certain skills that now make you well suited to doing the job that you do had you just jumped straight from Degree at SOAS into, you know, yeah, going straight into law.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Like, um, when you are working in theatre, like you're not sit, you're not standing there and thinking, I'm using this skill, I'm using that skill. It just happens so naturally. You have to work with such different personalities. I was negotiating with venue managers, and next moment I'm having to work on a poster. Um, then look at ticketing forums that stuff like you don't get that much hands-on experience in any other industry like you know you just make it happen yourself and it really it really does give you a lot of strings to your bow um I think what was difficult for me with with theatre as well is like I was talking about that subjectivity of um you know, some people love you, some people don't. And at that time, that sort of tender age, I found that quite difficult, that it wasn't based necessarily on meritocratic system that you work really hard, and you get to where you want. And I always shied away from networking stuff. You know, I was too proud sometimes to sort of get in and just talk to everyone and give them cards and all the rest of it. Yeah, I wanted to Make friends in the profession and work with people I liked, and that, that was really great. And then, but at the same time, you're thinking, I actually have a career and I do need to earn money. And right now, I can't see a strategy that's really clear cut for me to work towards. Whereas, I suppose the appeal of, of law was that, yeah, it was really, really hard, really hard to get into. Um, but there is a structure, and if you work hard enough, you do get in. I guess that that was another big reason why um, I walked away from him, but it. but I definitely haven't turned my back on theatre. It's still a huge part of me, and I still do sing songs from Wicked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Long may it continue. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's also so nice to hear you, the way that you... Because, weirdly, whenever we, you know, speak socially, I don't think, even though you founded Cyphers and I now run it, We've never really spoken about yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. so it's it's quite, it's really nice to hear you talk about it with such um a sincere sense of ownership still that's really nice it's you know, and that I think is testament to what you've just said about it still being a part of your life and part of mm. that journey is just hearing you speak about it not as something that was in the past and something that you once yeah. did, but something that's still alive within you as it were, yeah
1: definitely.
0: Are there any final kind of bullet point bits of advice that you would give to anybody who was in the shoes that you were in towards the end of your time at SOAS or just after you've graduated who Mm. was thinking about giving theatre a go?
1: Number one piece of advice, I think, would be to sit down and try and envisage what lifestyle you want for yourself. Because that is what being a job is, you know, what why, why we pick our careers. It's based on what lifestyle we want. And um, a big part of that is obviously your your expectations for what you will earn. Um, and you have to think carefully of that. And I don't think it's something to be ashamed of to say that you you want to earn money. And if you believe that, you know, you can break into that elite circle in the acting profession... Absolutely, go ahead with it. You, if you meet the right people, you know, the right avenues, the chance and and the luck, you know that you'll get a job, and it will give you the exposure you need. You will get what you want. The thing is, you have to have the guts to do it, and you have to have the self belief. Um, that is really important because you will hear people all the time tell you, Nah, you never make it," or "Oh, it's so hard." And you have to sit there and inside yourself know, but I think I've got something different. And I think I know some people that will eventually turn out to be really helpful in my career. And that's great. You need to think like that because it's your career. It's nobody else's. Um, Yeah, and I, I just think never see any job, no matter how big or small it is, as being a waste of time everything you do on your road to your career is valuable whether that's just going to an open mic night reading some random poetry going on to a meeting with a a random person from another theatre company all of that counts and always think that if you're sitting there and you're thinking what have I achieved at the end of this year look look at those meetings look at those people and connections you've met, look at those experiences you had, and, you know, back yourself. You know, they're, they're all really relevant, whatever you will do. Um, we're humans, and at the end of the day, it all comes down to social contact. And if we can still have that ability to adapt to people in different environments, then that is a massive asset. So I'd say those are those are the biggest things I, I would give to anyone who's sitting there now and wondering what to do with the next 10 years of their life.
0: (laughs) Well, on that huge thought, I think that's a a good place to stop and let you get back to singing (laughs) Defying Gravity whilst carving a pumpkin. Thanks. (laughs) Um, Thanks so much for chatting, Victoria. It was a pleasure.
1: A pleasure as well. Thank you.
0: So there you go that was my chat with victoria hamblin one of the co-founders of cyphers theater company hope you enjoyed listening i certainly enjoyed speaking to her and if you did enjoy it then please do subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on and if you do have any questions for us send them our way on twitter at cyphers uk using the hashtag cyphers create but other than that hope you have a good week or so and until next time goodbye